Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It's time for a special edition of Trucking Technology and Efficiency. It's a pre-recorded show, so don't bother dialing. Just sit back and relax and listen. Joining me today, got Joel Morrow and John Walco. Welcome back, guys. Good to be here. Thanks, Kevin. Good to be here. You know, as a host, when I have multiple guests like that, I should probably say good afternoon or good morning to one at a time so you both don't sit there thinking, I wonder if I should respond. <laughs> well, you know, that would just kind of spoil the free-for-all nature of what we got going on here. How, exactly. how would we talk over of, each other, you know? That, that's a good point. It's part of our DNA. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Awkward pauses and talking over each other. We, gotta, we, gotta, we cover both ends of the spectrum. Exactly. And then it's always good when you get an awkward pause. Then we all talk. Then we pause. Then we all talk. That's At the same time. I mean, if we were all in the same room, that would be easy. But what fun would that be, right? It would have to you know, have like a light that was on when we were talking and have, have hand signals and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other thing that's changed when I first started in radio, uh, we used to make connections across phone lines. Um, you know, we would use an ISDN line for the voice so you get better quality than a phone call. But the last... Uh, when was the last time I had an ISD? Oh, well, I had one here. When we first moved in here back in 2012, we did get an ISDN line. It took me almost a month, and, and the phone company, uh, almost a month to find somebody that knew how to install one because they, they had just stopped doing them. Radios about was about the only place left using ISDN lines, and now everything's on the internet. And the, the, the issue with it, the quality can be really good, but then the quality can also degrade if the if the uh, connection slows down. But the other thing you get a lot more of with these internet audio connections, we get latency or that lag. And it, it only has to be mm -hmm. about a half of a second and it can really mess up the conversation. It that That little bit of a lag, that's when people start talking over each other because somebody finishes and then there's silence, but it's only because of that delay. So it, it's, it's pretty awkward sometimes. And a, a lot of times that's where that comes from. It's just that delay that we're having. That's interesting. Yeah. That's a half a second is a lot actually. So that's uh, that's, that's legit. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it until, and like you said, if you're in the same room and you're looking at each other, you know, right when somebody ends on this, you think, you know, when they end, except they ended a second ago and there's been a second of silence. So then sometimes they say like, Oh, can you hear me? Uh, so when callers start going, can you hear me? I just stop, just, just stop talking until you get it kind of straightened out. Otherwise you just keep talking over each other. So we're going to jump right in and get started. We're only doing an hour today, no callers. Uh, so I'll keep an eye on our time. I know everybody's busy today. One of the topics that came up earlier today on the Power Hour, and I'm kind of interested in this, Pete had mentioned a, a magazine. Um, I forgot what it was. Was it Progressive Diesel, I think, is the name of the magazine? Um, uh, Diesel Progress, it's called. Diesel Progress. Diesel Progress. Yeah. That's what it was. Yep. Um, yeah. So magazine. I thought yeah. I, I should be checking that more often. And I tried to add it to my newsreader, but it won't add. So I have to figure out something else. But 
while I was there trying to figure it out, one of the big articles was on this new ferry that they're building, and it's electric, an electric ferry. And I thought, man, I just don't see how that's going to work. You know how much fuel boats use because of all the drag in the water. Well, it turns out they're going to use a full foil. Oh, cool. Yeah, this ferry is going to ride like several feet out of the water on foils, and they claim it reduces energy consumption by 80%. That's wow. significant. <laughs> wow, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. That's it it's the first thing I noticed about trying to learn how to use these foil boards. I, I've been riding stuff on the water my whole life. Water skis, jet skis, knee boards, boogie boards, wakeboards. This is the first time when when that board breaks the surface and you come up on the foil, the first thing that happens is you fall because all the resistance disappears and you're just not ready for it. And it's, it's incredible how little resistance there is when you're up on the foil. That's uh, yeah, I could I, I get the falling thing. I understand that. I, I uh, was skiing with my son once um, and we were in the terrain park and me being a, the, the 50 year old uh, child that I am, I, I decided to jump up on a grind rail. You know what a grind rail is? You go sideways I, you, on a piece you, of metal and you goes didn't. sideways down it. You didn't. Oh, I did for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No. No. So, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw down a grind. And like grind has this connotation of friction, right? Like I'm gonna you know I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to be ready because there's gonna be some drag on my ski, drag it on this metal underneath me. Like no, not at all. You take off. It's like it immediately fell right on my hip, right onto the grind rail. Yeah. Yep. So that was that was it yeah so no i did it yeah i absolutely did that yeah, yeah you're, you're <laughs> so, actually, and my son my, my 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 son still laughs about that yeah i'll bet and i could see it's that a grind rail you, because it, it you use the resistance it grinds body parts <laughs> yeah yeah right that's why it's called the grinder yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna throw down a grind, and yeah, it didn't. so I could see when you when you come up out of the water and that drag's all gone, all of a sudden your your whole, it's all different. Like you, you have to move your weight, you have to get get on top of that, and yeah, yeah. And then the other difference on on any other board or anything you ride, there's really no forward and backwards all that much. You know, on a on a water ski, you lean back and that creates the resistance. But once you find that kind of sweet spot, you just stay there. That doesn't really change. But on the on the foils, that forward and back is pretty important. And it determines how high you ride out of the water on the foil. If you, That's why you can get air on these boards even when you're on smooth water because you can kind of lean forward a little bit and let the foil dive and then lean back and it'll launch out of the water. But these, especially these new foils now, they're making them out of carbon fiber and they're so small and thin. There, there's, well, there's so little resistance. One of the things they'll do here on the river, we have big barges and cruise ships that come down this river. And if you're using your wing as your source of power, you can go over and get behind the boat and get on its wake and you can just surf the wake as long as you want. You just let your wing uh, feather out behind you. And just that little bit of, of wake 
is enough to propel this board. That's interesting. Yeah, I was That's watching a guy cool. the, the first day I'm out there watching people on these foils, and he, he goes right over and he gets right behind this big cruise ship, and he's on the wake. And I'm watching, and he just lets his wing feather out. And I watched the guy follow this ship like a half mile down the river, and I'm thinking, how does that work? And then I realized <laughs> there's just that little resistance. Endless yeah, way. Here's, here's Kevin behind the cruise ship, and the cruise ship stops, and the propeller's still turning. <laughs> I can see how this is going to go. <laughs> well, the, the, the first time that I wanted to go kite boarding, and I didn't understand the kite, and all the ropes had me all freaked out. I'm like, I should probably go take a lesson before I strangle myself with this stuff. So I took a lesson from this guy. He was about 80, I swear, tough old guy. Um, <laughs> and he was telling, I'm saying, you know, what kind of things should I watch out for? And I said, you know, what's the deal with like these big barges that come down? How dangerous is that? And he's like, well, think about it. He said, you can see that barge about a mile away and they don't move very fast. He said, so it really shouldn't be any big danger. <laughs> if you're worried about it, just get out of the middle of the channel when they're coming. And I said, oh, okay, that makes sense. And he said, I, I know one guy who's been hit by, a, hit by a barge twice. And I'm like, he survived <laughs> the first time. How did that happen? <laughs> hit by a barge. <laughs> so so oh, I wow. guess what happens is if that barge goes over you, they're pretty flat on the bottom. And I thought, Ben, you'd either be stuck under that thing and drown or you're going to get chewed up by the propeller at the other end. But it shoots you out the side, kind of just like the wake. And as long as you can hold your breath long enough, I guess he survived the first time and did it again. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. I think I'll skip that. Maneuver. Yeah. I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd take my chances. Yeah. I'll skip yeah. it too. <laughs> yeah. I'll skip that one. So that, that uh, foil thing is showing up everywhere. All the surfers are using foils now on their surfboards. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I'll have to, I have to YouTube some of this stuff so I can see exactly what you're talking about on, on it. Yeah. Just, just about everything on the, on the water now. Um, surfboards, boogie boards, wakeboards, everybody's putting foils on them. Like the surfers now are taking, they're putting a foil on their surfboard and then they're taking a wing with them. Just like I would go out and wing foil on my, my little board. They're doing it on a big surfboard and they never have to paddle out. They catch a wave and ride the wave mm -hmm. in, and then they just pick up their wing again and let their wing take them back out to catch another uh, wave. They're also using it. Have you ever seen the big wave competitions where they have to get towed in by a jet ski to, to get up enough speed? Mm -hmm. Now they're uh -huh. just using wings. Uh, yeah. Really? That's yeah. kind of cool. Now they can, they, on the foil and the wing, they can get enough speed to, to get ahead of those big waves. Yeah, I, I don't know. Me and surfing, I just always kind of think about what's in the water underneath me, and I, I skip it at that point. I, I'm like, yeah. It's kind of almost like your bait out there. <laughs> I always kind of envisioned it. You know, we, we go kite fishing on occasion for, for sharks and stuff when we go to Florida, and, and when you start talking about, you know, putting a wing out there, and you just look like bait to me. <laughs> I don't know. The river I can handle, but I don't know that I'm going into salt water with any of that kind of stuff. It just uh, it makes me a little nervous. 
you know, the, on the river here, we've we've got like fifteen foot. Uh, oh shoot! What are those big ancient fish that look like they're from the dinosaur? Sturgeons. What's that? Sturgeon. 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 Yeah, we've got we've got fifteen sturgeon, foot yep. sturgeon out here. Yeah, they won't eat you though. They look great like white. Them. That'll <laughs> take a that'll take a piece out of you. Yeah, they do. They look like that they would eat you, but they're. Uh, they're fairly harmless, the, the sturgeon. The, I don't know. Sharks are a whole different story. We used to go fishing for them all the time when we were younger down in the Keys and stuff. And I just, I seen some big sharks. And I was like, yeah, I'll skip it all. <laughs> I yeah. don't need to be in the water that bad. I, you know, when I first moved down to Florida, I was uh, water skiing on the St. Johns River and, and a bunch of the tributaries, Black Creek and a couple other smaller ones. And it wasn't unusual to to drop off the ski and be waiting to get picked up and look over and 10 feet away, a gator would pop up. Yeah, I, you know, some of the some of the stuff in the water, um, years ago, my dad used to go down to the Keys every year. He'd rent a house down there. We had rented a house right on the water, and we were all into fishing really big at the time, and we're like, let's go buy some inflatable boats and paddle out. And it was called Shark Pass between Marathon Key and Big Pine Key. Oh, yeah, I know. Right and it was, it, it was Shark Pass for a reason, but but we didn't know it at the time. So we're out there in these little inflatable boats, and we've seen a couple of sharks cruising around. And, you know, we thought it was kind of cool. They weren't all that big. And that night we decide, well, let's uh, let's go set a kind of a line out there and see if we can catch one of those sharks. So we had this frozen and a mullet or a ballyhoo in the freezer and we get it out and unthought and put some slits in the side so it's pouring blood pretty good and i put it on a big old hook and i'm walking out i'm like knee deep maybe a little over knee deep in water and i'm carrying a flashlight and i got this bloody ballyhoo in my hand and just i don't know how it happened but that flashlight tilted down this big old eye rolls up and looks at me and here's this shark bigger than I am in knee deep water. And I'm holding onto a bloody fish and I'm like, I am the hell out of here. I dropped that fish and it was, you know, I was just boogieing for the shore. I was, I'm not going. And of course they're all laughing at me. You didn't see nothing. And the next day we took those inflatable boats out and here come these three great big, I don't know if they were nurse sharks or what in the heck, but they were bigger than those inflatable boats and they were 11 feet. And we all went back to shore and we never went back out on those boats again. We were just done. So it was, it was all done after that. <laughs> well, you, you have to be but, uh, uh, familiar with the, the key deer there on Big Pine. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. They got all the signs up there, the little protected deer. And if you happen to hit one of them, you go to the jail for the rest of your life, even if it's an accident. <laughs> yeah, yep. Exactly. They, they kind of look like German shepherds with antlers. They do. They're itty bitty little things. They're they're pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Do we have anything trucking today? Yeah, I do. Well, I do actually. Well, we talk about I, some trucking off, stuff now. Officially, yeah. Officially, we're going to do a thing here. It's going to be good cop, bad cop. When it comes to the whole Tesla thing, John's going to be the good cop, and I'm going to be Debbie <laughs> Downer on the other side of this. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, so I, you, know, you know, this is a way to, to, to vet these things. You, you got You just have to do that. You have to take both sides of the issue here and really, really look at it hard. And, and, um, I've, uh, been doing some research since the whole Tesla run. And of course I have some access to the, 
the Volvo engineering staff that are working on their stuff. And we're, we've been running some numbers and doing some comparison and, and it seems like all the electric trucks, including the Tesla are all fairly close to the same in terms of efficiency. We, we believe, um, the Tesla's got a bigger battery and of course they have the bigger battery. They give up a little bit of payload. The, um, the Volvo VNR right now has a 565 was it kilowatt hour battery? I think is that right, John? Kilowatt hour? Yeah, yeah. that'd be by kilowatt hour. And, yeah. Yep, and the Tesla has a 900. Um, the uh, Volvo VNR electric is good for about 275 miles. So if you essentially double up the battery, you're going to be right in that same 500 mile range. Um, Volvo just had identified that as a day cab, they just didn't need that much range and they didn't want to give up that much payload because they have a lot of beverage uh, companies that are using this thing within a hundred mile radius and they just simply did not need the range on it and they wanted to keep it as light as possible. The big area where Tesla has the advantage, obviously, is aerodynamics. Their, their uh, aero is very, very good on that truck. And the VNR right now, the way it's laid out, they've got that big gap between the truck and the trailer. But again, they thought we're going to be using this in town. We're not really concerned about aero at highway speed, so to speak. And they didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it right out of the gate. That being said, Volvo done a very similar run to Tesla over in Europe. They went from Munich to Berlin. Not quite as far, but they were heavier and colder weather and hillier conditions. And it looks on the surface that they're about identical as far as how far they're going to be able to go with a load at 55 mile an hour. Um, cold temperatures are going to play hell with these trucks, is my understanding. There's going to be a significant drop in range along with speed. There's going to be a significant drop in range with them. Uh, as long as you keep them in that 55 mile an hour kind of sweet spot they they do they do pretty well obviously the tesla done well and the, the volvo truck done well so I, i'm working on putting together more information just in general and you know doing some comparison stuff between what tesla done and what volvo done on their run just to kind of see how the two compare um the european truck uh that volvo has that is a a three motor design but it does run through a two-speed iship where the, the Tesla has no transmission. They're using just strictly extra motors in place of gears to start the heavy heavy loads rolling. It, it seems to be split between the engineers. They Some think it's a good idea, others think not. Um, I guess that remains to be seen, how that's gonna work out. But uh, just some really interesting stuff. I really wasn't planning on getting into the electric stuff all that deep, but I got a feeling I'm gonna get pulled into it over on the Volvo side a little deeper than, than what I wanted to. I am not an electric truck guy as far as understanding how everything works, but I'm going to get an education. It looks like here real quick. So we'll see what happens. You know, we've talked about this before and, and the biggest factor that nobody is talking about that I wish we were all talking about is cost. I mean, it, it's one thing to talk about range and the grid and can we, we can solve almost any of those problems if we put our mind to it. I don't know how we're going to solve the grid problem simply because the government just won't allow us to, it looks like. But why aren't we talking about cost? Yeah, it, well, you know, everything is 
is subsidized by the government right now. And, and, um, I was watching a post over on LinkedIn and, and that's what, all they were talking about. You know, name of the game is subsidies. Let's see how much government money we can get. It really wasn't even about the technology. It was about the money grab. That's and that problem. was kind of disheartening to, yeah, to watch all these, these engineers, you know, instead of using their brain for, for what they were trained to do, they're all talking about how do I get more money out of the government? And I, I get it. Money's a necessary evil, but uh, yeah, it was kind of disheartening in a way. Um, but I guess that's how the game's played. Yeah, and it, it would just be nice to know, are, are we even in the ballpark of, and I don't think we are. I, I don't think that these, these vehicles are going to be very cost effective uh, the way things stand. And it looks like that's only going to get worse over time instead of better. So what I know, and that's not a whole lot yet, but when you start to look at these things in terms of pricing, it's, the, the price and the duty cycle are kind of counterintuitive because these trucks are used in a duty cycle where they don't run a lot of miles. So it's very hard to justify, obviously, a really expensive truck when you're not right. running a lot of miles. And, you know, the, the energy consumption, I think, would shock a lot of people when you start to convert what a optimized diesel truck does, like mine or Henry's versus what Tesla just done. It's not it's not game changing like everybody thinks. Now the cost of electric, if it's low, that is obviously where you're going to make it up. But I just, I struggle to believe that the cost of electric for transportation is going to remain as low as what we can buy electric for currently. I just, I, I don't believe that's going to happen. Yeah, you know, I think, I think so we're going to get taxed to death on this and cause they're going to have to build off the infrastructure and that's how they're going to do it. They're going to say, well, look, you, you know, you guys are using this. You're going to have to pay for it. And when you do that and you bring the cost of the electric in the line to where it should be to support the infrastructure and, and everything else that's going on, I, I just, I don't know. I don't see it as the game changer that a lot of people think it is in terms of trucking. In terms of emissions and whatnot, it looks like initially that an electric truck, if you look at everything involved, has about half of the emissions that a diesel truck does. And that was kind of disappointing. I was hoping it would be way better than that. And when you take the next round of emissions for diesel trucks, it, it's, it's going to be much, much closer, the total emissions out of a diesel versus an electric. Obviously, there's no tailpipe emissions, but you have the manufacturing and you know putting the battery together and everything. And then the other point that I, I kind of think about, um, and again, I know this makes me a Debbie Downer, but you know, we've got a lot of oil sitting underneath our feet. I don't think, and I don't know for sure, but I don't think we have the the rare earth minerals to build these batteries um, to the degree that we need to. And I'm just kind of worried that we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Are we going to make ourselves dependent on China for the minerals and everything we need to build the batteries when we're setting on all this oil over here and we're going to outlaw vehicles that, you know, use the resource that we have in order to have to buy it from China, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, especially if we can do the diesel in a very clean fashion. I agree. Uh, one of the things that came out of that book, uh, the end of the world, when they talked about, you know, we'd, we'd get away from this worldwide supply chain and we'd go back to building more things local. And that's going to be, horrible for some countries because they have no resources and 
the, the one piece of good news, if that book has any truth in it at all, was that we are really well set when it comes to oil. Obviously, we were completely energy independent for a couple of years there. But they said we are also, when you look at all the world, all the countries around the world, we're also in the top three to produce renewable, like wind and solar. And we mm-hmm. would be fine on the precious metals if we combine. I'm pretty sure it was Mexico. They said, you know, we, we would probably gotcha. end up with a, a trade agreement, you know, pretty tight between Mexico, the U.S. and Canada because we don't have to ship across an ocean. Mm-hmm. And if, if I remember right, I think between the three countries, we would have everything we need to move into those renewable energy sources. Not that it's, I'm saying it's cost effective or the smartest thing to do, but it, it looks like we're pretty well positioned if we have to. Well, that's, that's good. I mean, I haven't, you know, dug into this deep enough to obviously have all the answers. These are just some of the things that kind of nag at me, you know, what if type of things. And, and obviously the more I dig into this, the more I'm going to learn about it. And, uh, you know, maybe my outlook will a hundred percent change on this. I don't know. Um, but these are some of the things that, you know, I, I kind of worry about, I, I guess I'm looking at it more from a, small to mid-sized fleet owners perspective, you know, being that's what I've been involved with for a long, long time. And my brother has actively been trying to put an electric truck in service. And he said, there's just no way. I mean, he said, you can't even become close to making it make any sense. He said, just the initial cost on them is outrageous. And, you know, with, with the temperature swings we have in Ohio, he said, there's a reason why all this is happening, you know, out in Southern California. Um, because of temperature, they don't get the variation. And right now it's, it's, it's very temperature can really, really degrade range on these vehicles. So, um, I, I mean, what's a state like, uh, I don't know, Montana that has a 75 mile an hour speed limit. It gets cold in the winter. These <laughs> trucks are going to go a couple hundred miles right now and, and they're done. Yeah. yeah so, exactly. um, you know, it's just, I, and I, you know, obviously as technology gets better, they're, they're going to overcome the stuff. I, I get it. But, um, you know, it, it's stuff that right now in the present tense, we, we really got to look at hard and some of this stuff may not be as easy to overcome as what a lot of people think. They just automatically assume, Oh, we're going to have a solution to that. Not a big deal. Eh, maybe, maybe not. You well, know? you know, it was so, interesting that the uh, example I gave, I think it was mm-hmm. Trenton, New Jersey, where uh, Schneider was trying to build a terminal. And they submitted their plans mm-hmm. for 50 mega chargers mm-hmm. um, for electric trucks. And the city of Trenton said, uh, sorry, that's more juice than the whole city uses right now. Uh, we can't possibly do that. And then I read this morning that Schneider just ordered 100 more electric trucks. Uh, right. Yeah. And, and how this is all going to work, I don't know. We, we kind of bumped in, or at least my brother did. He bumped into that same issue with, you know, wanting to put the infrastructure into charge trucks here in, in our little town. And, you know, he was even going to go so far as to put solar on top of all the buildings that, you know, that we have and, you know, try and, and help in, in that regard. But it's, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. And, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm watching too much out on social media, but man, it seems like some people just think that these are just going to absolutely revolutionize the industry. We're not going to have to worry about maintenance and electric's going to stay at this very low cost. And, you know, we're going to make billions of more dollars and just, I, 
I don't see it myself and maybe I'm a pessimist and, and I, I need to be a little more optimistic about this, but uh, I, I don't see any of that happening. I do think electric has a place. There are going to be transportation fundamentals involved with electric, just like there is diesel fuel. There will be maintenance challenges with electric, just like there is diesel fuel. Um, I, I just don't see it as this ultimate game changer that uh, a lot of people seem to think it's going to be. All right. Well, we've had enough of you, Debbie Downer. Where's the good cop today? <laughs> <laughs> Um, where, 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 you, you, there was a lot there. <clears throat> so and you are being a Debbie Downer. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, I still have faith for some reason, even with subsidies and mandates and so forth. Uh, it, to, to look at this as like you use the, they word, which I, which I hate when people do that. They want us to drive these. They want us here. They this stop, stop it with the, they stuff. It's, it's us. It's we, <laughs> so we elected those people and we, or whatever, you know, it, 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 it takes some responsibility there. When you say that they thing all the time drives me insane, uh, because that's not the case. And, and it, it's such a slow moving thing that, that no one's, you're not going to wake up tomorrow and your, your gasoline, your decent pilot pickup trucks can be illegal. Ain't happening. Um, you know, maybe in 50 years or a hundred years and it's going to phase out. And it's always going to be what the market will bear. Well, let's get, let's get to the cost thing first. Right now, the economy hasn't really slowed down with these insane fuel prices we have, which could very well be the reason we have insane fuel prices. And, you know, we didn't, we only stop producing oil here when it stops making sense. When OPEC drops the price and it's no longer profitable for us to pull oil out of the ground and use our own, our oil companies stop doing it. It's it's more expensive to make oil here than it is to import it. That, that's a fact. It, it costs way more to pay people who work in American refineries. It costs way more for us to get it out of the ground just because we have people who like to get get paid. What I'm convinced, and this is just my little e- economics philosophy here, it's always what the market will bear. Somehow the market is bearing what we're paying for fuel right now. So when we go to electric, it's not going to be any cheaper. It's going to be what people are willing to spend to get from point A to point B or spend on a product that gets to them that costs more to get to them because the fuel costs more than the truck. So all of that, to look at it as a a cost savings thing or to make it going to be so much cheaper, I think you're dreaming just because those are businesses that need to make money and they're going to charge whatever the market will bear. But that's the electric companies after the subsidies end and after everything, every, all the, all the, all the stuff happens that, that, that encourages them to go that direction. They're still, they, their responsibility is only to their shareholders and they have to make as much money as possible. And that's what they're going to do. So yes, it's going to cost just as much to drive your electric car, or your electric truck or whatever as it did your gasoline. The only thing, and I, I look at it more of an engineering problem that I like actually, there are fewer moving parts. There are so many things to me that make sense about electric vehicles and that maybe just because it's a new frontier, you know, I don't want to say we've gotten to the end of the IC world and, and our standard cars as we know them. But I mean, the stuff that you could do with an electric vehicle with torque vectoring and you've got a hundred percent torque and zero RPM. And then if you add a couple of gears to that, I mean, there's so many new frontiers to me that we're just scratching the surface. So you could poo poo it all you want. Yeah. Right now the grid can't handle it for sure. You know, uh, were the gas stations everywhere when we switch from horse and buggies to cars? No. I mean, I'm sure the same argument was thrown around anywhere. My horse could eat anywhere. You don't need to, I don't need to ship gas in and pump it into, a, you know, into, into the thing to get it there. Hey, so yeah, hey, John, we, it's going to be something me, getting used to. Let me yeah. jump in and interrupt <laughs> you there. You know, it, when, um, 
I forget what trip this was. I was out west somewhere. This was quite a, probably two decades ago. And I was on this ranch near the Grand Canyon and they had like 500 acres. I forget. It was a big herd of cattle. And, you know, they were there on the ranch and we were doing some horseback riding and we had ATVs. And at first I had this thought of, why do these guys still ride horses when they have ATVs? ATVs are so much faster and there's so many more. And then it dawned on me when they have to cover a ranch this big, how would they ever keep gas in one? I mean, they can't. That's why horses still work on ranches. <laughs> they can't. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, that four or five gallons your ATV holds isn't going to go all that far. Yeah. Right. And, and what do you do? You can't drag, you know, enough <laughs> gas around for a couple, a week or so. Sometimes these guys are out on the trail for a week on these big ranches and, and it dawned on me that after right. all this time, yeah. horses are still really the only practical way to do that. <laughs> so, well, my point is, and again, this is just my belief. I could be wrong, but it's going to happen slower, I think, than anybody. <clears throat> you know, there's no reason to be alarmist about it, I don't believe. I see it as a lot of jobs, a lot of technologies being uh, thrown about, you know, whether, you know, we, we could get into an, an argument as to whether it should be subsidized or not. And, and I'm with you on that. I don't believe it should be. I get a little kick in the pants. I mean, I'd rather see uh, the government subsidizing this stuff than subsidizing oil companies already making billions of dollars. So, so, you know, it, you know, I, I'm not a fan of corporate welfare at any level. Um, and if they are going to throw some money at something, let's, let's make it something productive. Let's make it a new technology. Let's do something. Cause we're not going to stop them from throwing money at stuff. Well, that's, that's, that's the bigger point. I mean, that's like saying I'd rather get poked in the eye than kicked in the knee. I I don't want either one. Right. (laughs) You don't want any of it. I got it. I I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, I agree 100%. Yeah. But the problem is you're going to get kicked or poked and you're going to have to pick. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'd rather not have both. (laughs) No, that's what I'm experiencing right now. I, I, thought about doing solar on the house because I've got, you know, a solar generator and we've got all kinds of sunshine in the summertime, almost nothing in the winter. So I was looking at solar and maybe even some wind in the winter. And the problem right now, if you try to go get anything done on solar, it is a nightmare because all of these companies are, they have all kinds of crazy deals they're offering because of the tax subsidies and the kickbacks and the it's a mess. You call these people and they make all kinds of wild claims. Oh, you're never going to pay an electric bill again. This is going to, you're going to be producing energy and selling it back to the grid. And and then they come out there and they, you know, you have to pay for these solar panels the rest of your life. And they don't produce one quarter of what everybody was promised. Yeah. Well, I just put I just put solar on my truck, so I hope that's not the case on on the, on the truck anyway. But uh, no, I hear what you're saying. There's there's uh, there's a lot of that going on with the solar. We're making huge huge claims, and you know it, how much of it's really true. It, it's hard to say. And nobody seems qualified. Nobody wants to talk about the solar panel itself or the technology. None of these people have any answers. All they ever talk about is well. Well, why do you have so many questions? It's not going to cost you anything. It's going to save you all this money and, and you don't have to pay anything up front. And I, I, that's not what I want to hear. I want to know that this thing's going to work. And none of these companies could care less about any of that. It's just a big sales pitch for them. 
How, how does it work without some sort of storage device? Or are you going to put a battery in too? You oh no, you have yeah, you've got to have batteries or, or, or a power wall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, otherwise it's useless. Yeah, yeah. There are a, a couple mm. new yeah. systems out. You know, I, I don't know if Tesla's power wall really exists. I keep hearing about it. I've never known anybody to have one. I tried to get one a couple times, and nobody ever called me back. But there's um, you know, Generac mm-hmm. has a good home system now. Um, Goal Zero has a good home system where you can mix some um, lithium ion with just some good old fashioned lead acid for home batteries. And, you know, they're all modular. There's some pretty decent storage systems out there and they're getting better. But these solar companies are just a nightmare. So um, Dwayne, the the guy that we've done the training with, he is putting a fairly advanced solar system on his house and I'll, I'll see what I can find out what, uh, what brand and, and uh, what the specs are on that. And I'll, I'll let you know, because it's, he talks about it from time to time and I've just kind of let it go in one ear and out the other. Cause I'm thinking, yeah, solar in the house, I, you know, I don't have time for it, but, uh, I'll, I'll see what I can get for information on it and pass it yeah, along to you and see that- exactly what he done and what, what his expectations are and what he thinks it's going to do. Yeah, that's what I, I, I want to talk to somebody who just doesn't have dollar signs in their eyes because they're going to get a big check from the government <laughs> if I say yes. And that's all they ever want to talk about. And if you go search because of these subsidies and tax breaks, that's all you find. I mean, every company I talk to, nobody even really wants to talk about the technology. It's just, well, oh, we're going to put it in free. Why do you really? have so many questions? <laughs> well, it's not free. I'm going to be paying for this thing the rest of my life is what it sounds like. <laughs> it's not even close to free. Exactly. Yeah. So, and the other thing about this, well, back back to the EV uh, versus IC, and and again, I you know my opinion on that. I believe we're skipping over hybrid and a whole bunch of things in the middle way too soon, mm-hmm. uh, including including range instead of EV. Uh, so you know, you get back to the the moral case for fossil fuels. I think it's super moral to have things like soup, like a really efficient APU on a truck that charges the battery itself if it has to, right? So there 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 are ways to to do this that seem to just be being skipped over uh, that that I'm not really thrilled about. But the one thing to me, and again, there are parts of the country where it won't work, and you could go on about cold and this and that. So there will be a place where these things are more 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 efficient than others. But the ability to regenerate, the ability to make electricity, your truck does not make diesel fuel going down a hill. I'm sorry, uh, well, this, this, this is true. It's, <laughs> this, this is true. And, you know, I, I brought that up to a couple of the engineers and they said, well, it's just like when we're specking the truck. How much are we really on grade in the United States? Now, in Europe, it works very well because they're up and down constantly. Like the, the run from Munich to Berlin, it was just made for in fact, they recovered, I think they said 20% of the energy yeah. required to, to make that trip. That doesn't happen between Pennsylvania, you know, say Pittsburgh and Denver, you know, in that area in between there, there's just not enough up and down to, to make that work is my understanding. Now, when you get, you know, the opposite direction, you get up into New England or you get up in the Pacific Northwest, yeah, absolutely. That that's definitely going to work. So, definitely interesting. What what I think is really cool. What we've got going on here. Um, you know, me being the Debbie Downer, John being the cheerleader. I I know. You know, over the years that the stuff always ends up somewhere in between, 
And I think it's really cool that we can have that conversation one on each side of it. And then you can kind of get a sense for where this is probably going to go. Uh, that's almost how new technology always works. It's, it's somewhere in between. It's never at one extreme or the other. And, and, uh, so that's nice. We can have the conversation anyway and not, you know, get all huffy and want to beat each other up over, <laughs> over some damn electric truck. You know what I mean? So that, that is pretty uh, cool. There, there, there are guys out there who want to beat you up over an electric truck. I mean, oh, I, I, trust I, me, yeah. man. I hear it constantly. <laughs> well, well, I'm trying to figure out. I hear it constantly. Yeah. I, I'm trying to figure out my role here. If you're the bad cop and John's the good cop, am I Switzerland or what? <laughs> <laughs> you, you could be. <laughs> you're the little, you're the little guy that runs around and takes pop shots at everybody. I don't. Well, there know. you go. That sounds jump a lot more fun. Jump in one side or the other, and yeah, I'm, I'm really oh, not excited. Yeah, you about get it right. You, you, you know, you know when to stir the pot. You know when to keep the peace, Kevin. You, you, you that's what you, I was you, gonna say. You got that ability to do both. Yeah. There you you're, go. you're the referee when things start to get out of hand. And if it's getting a little boring, you stimulate it by stirring the pot. There you go. In, in this cage match, the referee is allowed to jump into the action if he feels necessary. <laughs> uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So as far as regular trucking goes, um, I'm getting ready to do a looks like it's going to be about a 29 stop dispatch 6,000 miles um so i'm going to leave i think thursday and it may put me back just before christmas or right around christmas time but uh wow uh i'll have some a lot of varying terrain uh should get into some snow i'll get into a lot of this delivers in southern california so i'll get in some of the good weather and and uh this new mapping software i have that shows ascent and descent so we know the total number of feet we're climbing and obviously going down and we can compare that. And, and we always talk about percent of time on grade. I'm going to know exactly how many feet of ascent and descent on this entire trip. So that's really going to be cool because that really helps to put fuel efficiency or any type of efficiency into context. You know, what's going on? Are you climbing? Are you going downhill? I put all the stops in and, uh, I'll probably post this at some point, but it's, uh, it is pretty amazing when you look at the cross section of elevation starting in Ohio, I run down through Tennessee into Texas, across New Mexico, Arizona, down to Southern California, up to the Bay area, um, jump in over to Reno. And then I end up final in Utah. And, uh, I think that I end up on the outbound trip where I actually end up uh, more ascent than descent. I don't remember the exact numbers. And then of course, coming back off the continental divide, it's going to be a drop all the way back to Ohio essentially. So we'll see how it all turns out. It'll be interesting for sure. Well, I, I think we just need to start booking runs from wherever our parents went to school to wherever they lived. Because if they had to walk <laughs> uphill both ways, we should be able to go downhill. <laughs> hey, I get accused of that, and I'm sure Henry does too, you know, of everything we, we haul is downhill. <laughs> you know, it's, it's downhill at 55 mile an hour. I, I hear it all the time, you know, oh, you're going wind. downhill and, oh, geez. I'm, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> it's, uh, it'll be interesting because we're going to, 
we're going to be able to keep some very, very detailed uh, records on ascent and descent for, you know, every mile that I run. And uh, I think that'll be eye-opening over time. I, I really do. It's uh, Some of the stuff has surprised me. I've got certain ways that I like to, you know, go to a certain highway. I want to get out to a four lane. I take a certain way and I, I put that route in and you're like, wow, you're climbing most of the time going this way. But if you go this way, you're following a river and it's flat and it's, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely interesting. And um, that, that pro that mapping software just on that alone will probably save me enough in fuel where, I mean, it was, it was probably one of the best investments that I've, I've ever made. It's <laughs> the truth. Interesting. So get out yeah. and run it and yeah. Yeah. That's see really how cool. it goes. All Pretty right. Cool stuff. Uh, one thing I want to make sure I get to before we run out of time, I got about 15 minutes left. Um, the call today, Joel, I know you were kind of listening, you were in and out of the truck. I, this is one mm -hmm. of those calls that I was kind of sort of doing something else. I thought the guys from Pittsburgh Power were handling mm -hmm. it, and I was catching bits and pieces. And then when I realized nobody had any answers, I started trying to pay attention. So it, it turns out, for some reason, when he first started talking, I thought it was a newer Volvo, I just assumed. But when I started questioning him, mm -hmm. it was an 03. And the only thing I could remember mm -hmm. on this issue for my Volvos was that, that manifold where all the airlines come into, it's usually right under the cab. Mm -hmm. uh, on all my trucks, it was mm -hmm. like almost right under the driver's seat, but on the, on, on the underside of the cab. The only thing I remember is if you had an air leak, that was one of the first places to go look. But what he's experiencing mm -hmm. is he's not getting enough air pressure to his fan hub. And they claim it's in that manifold, but he said the Volvo dealers just don't have any answers for them or they can't get parts or for some reason they can't fix this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I get a, a chance around on that, I, I, yeah, but again, that's so the solenoids controlled by, by the, by the ECU, the pressure you know, they could get pressure from anywhere from that. It's, it's not that, it's not that, or, or is that manifold, like some sort of valve body, Joel, or is it like a multiple, but there, there should, in an 03, it should just have some sort of solenoid valve that controls the, controls the fan. Yeah. I, that's what I'm thinking too. I, I'll, I'll talk yeah. to my guys and, and they, they can bring it up in impact, I think for 2003. So I can actually see, see what's going on there. I, I, really hard for me to say because I don't remember exactly what's on that, but I'll, uh, I'll look, I, I do know that it, it, he's sure that the, the fan clutch itself just hasn't failed. I, you know, I, I think I heard them question. Cause when they, 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 yeah, when they fail, they fail, it's a safety and they fail in the on position. So it runs constantly when it fails. And if it's leaking internally, I, I don't know. I, I'll have I'll have to yeah. go ask, but uh, I, I do know when they fail. Right, they they fail, so they're in the on position. Right, so the so fan I'll, runs. I'll ask my guys. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, so it, I mean, if you had a blocked airline to the manifold, just run an airline <laughs> you know, somewhere yeah. else up to it. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's it's a damn fan. thing I mean, worse. You, I mean. A you couple, know, the, couple push lock the, connectors and some hose, and yeah, it's not right. hard. That's what I was thinking too. Is that right? Yeah. 
even if something's wrong, we should have been able to fix this unless it's the that manifold itself if the problem's internal and they just can't get that part. Mm, bypass it. That, well, that's what I thought, that. too. I wonder if you could just but, bypass uh, yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, just bypass it and run a line around it. I mean, that wouldn't be a big deal. Sounds to me like the the fan clutch itself is bad. But uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's so hard to say with, with, yeah, without looking at run the, air straight. I mean, I've had to run air straight to them before someone who wanted it off all the time. That's when they were having a problem with it. You know, usually I, I know some series sixties would have trouble in the ECU to turn the thing on all the time. And there, there's some other stuff. He just seriously put an airline to it and it disengages, uh, you know, and it's, it, it, it's off all the time. And then you have to be careful not to overheat, but regardless, uh, mm-hmm. that's not a hard, that's, that's, yeah. Sounds like it's mechanics who were lacking creativity there. And, and then we got into yeah, another yeah, discussion yep. that I, I was kind of surprised about. I've always felt like I didn't know this area very well, but it turns out like almost nobody seems to know what the hell's the deal with air dryers today. Do we still have like filters or cartridges that should be serviced? Yes. Yes, and they're very, very important because if you get dirt and oil, it gets into your emissions, like your your dosing module and stuff. Um, in the automated manual transmissions, they have to have an ultra clean supply. So draining waters and servicing them, them air dryers is extremely important. Um, what is that? The AHI module, John, that that takes runs off the the air. Um, yeah. That. I mean, that is just so critical to keep that changed. Uh, we do it much more aggressively than what the recommendation is on the, to change those. So change them and drain the air tanks if you don't have spitters on your air tanks daily. You don't want to get water up into there. It just creates so many problems um, with today's, uh, today's trucks. So on a on a new Volvo today, what is the air dryer system? Is it a filter or a cartridge with desiccant? What are you serving? It's it's a spin on, yeah. It's it's a spin on a filter with with desiccant in it. But don't use the knockoff filters; they don't work as well. We learned that the hard way. You know, oh God, this is half the price. We're going to save a fortune. It, it will cost you a fortune. Do not use a knockoff filter. If it's a Bendix, use a Bendix. If it's a Meritor, use a Meritor. There is a difference. So the, the knockoff filters, I don't care whose brand it is. They are not as good. We've tried them all and we've got smoked on that multiple times trying to save a few bucks on a filter. So how often are you changing them then in the fleet? Uh, every year. Okay. Yeah, we change them every year. Okay. Yeah. That may just become the But it's, it's draining those air tanks is, yeah, is the one thing. Anytime you stop to get fuel, you should be you should be draining the air tanks on the newer trucks as well, and that's something that people just don't do. And uh, you definitely need to, to keep the water out as well. So drain the air tanks and, and change that, that uh, desiccant filter on the, uh, on the air dryer for sure. Got it. Yeah, I ask people to go back and look at their owner's manual and tell me when they're supposed to be changing these because nobody ever talks about them. Well, and the other thing we've got going on now is we got inflation systems on the trailers. And, of course, air ride trailers now are a lot more common than what they were when we had spring rides. So we're, we're using a lot more air, especially with the inflation system. And a lot of the uh, air dryers on these trucks now, the fleet, they spec what they call a twin spin, where they actually have two 
desiccant uh, canisters on there instead of just one. And um, that that helps matters. But even when we spec duels on, on trucks, we'll still change them every year instead of going two years. Like, I think that's what they say you can do. We, we don't take the chance on it because it just it causes so much problems when you get contaminated uh, air into the system nowadays. Got it. All right. What uh, we've got about uh, seven or eight minutes left. What else do we want to cover? You know, that's uh, um, when Henry was on the other day, I, I would like to start to get into the whole six by two thing a, a little bit more. So people really start to understand that, you know, Henry's worked very hard on his truck you know, getting the aerodynamic part of it right. And now he's starting to get into the, getting the mechanical part of it right with the, with the lift axle and whatnot. I have spent a ton of time on the mechanical part of it and not so much time on the aerodynamics. When you look at mine compared to his aerodynamically, he's just blows me out of the water aerodynamic wise. I've got a, I got a cheap ass belly fairing on a trailer and, and that's it, you know, and, and he's done, Henry's done a hell of a good job aerodynamically on his. And of course the, the Cascadia right now, that's a newer, newer design. That's a little more aerodynamic than, than what my truck is. I've got that big windshield that stands straight up. Um, so, you know, talking about this moving forward, the six by twos and how this is going to work as we start to, run faster and faster. And Henry's really starting to prove that out as we improve the aerodynamics and we lower that, that parasitic drag speed and weight, I think actually start to become our friend. It's kind of like pushing the truck along. Once you get it up to speed, it just wants to keep going at that point. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be pretty impressive. I'm sure Henry's numbers are going to continue to improve. You know, and he was pushing 11 miles a gallon at 75 mile an hour on some of the stuff he was running the other day. I've got some really major aero improvements coming in the next 12 months, um, you know, where I'm probably going to be 15 to 20% better than where I'm at right now, just based on the aerodynamics that I have coming in the works. So it, it's going to be really cool and exciting to see how well these trucks are going to be able to do it at the higher speed. So pushing the idea of the six by two, getting people comfortable with today's six by twos that actually work and you're not stuck everywhere. I, I think is uh, something that I'd like to really talk about as we, as we uh, move on, especially if you know, Henry's going to be with us and, and he can talk about it as well. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to do that more of that because I think that'll, that'll be a good topic. Yeah. And I know, you know, we had Henry on and we didn't really get to hear from him a whole lot, but that's just because, four of us was a little overwhelming actually <laughs> speaking of talking over that was really fun i i really enjoyed that and, and i have to say in the time you, you know I, some of the philosophies over at the at pittsburgh power while, while i was there weren't uh, at the time in particular weren't quite quite in line with the ultra efficient stuff and and henry really struck me when i talked to him at the at the uh, uh louisville truck show probably like 15 or 16, 2016, I guess it was. It was the first year I was down there with, with, with those guys, uh, this go around anyway. And, you know, he's talking about the 219 gears and the DT 12. And I'm like, Oh, this, they're, they're onto something here. This is, it was, it was big. I mean, they were the first to do that, even though they're, you know, they're, even though the architecture of that engine is not quite as suited to the super down speed as, as, as the Volvo, 
Um, it was cool to see them going that direction and working hard on that and their whole, you know, their, what, what do they call there? Is it team run, team run smart? Is it run smart? Right. Uh, correct. Whole yeah, deal with team run smart. You know, mm-hmm. with the caffies and, and, and re- I was really impressed with that whole deal. Uh, the fact that the fact that the uh, Freightliner even does that, right. Uh, Detroit slash Freightliner. I thought that was neat. And I don't know why every manufacturer is not like that. I mean, Volvo's got you and your little fleet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't hear mm-hmm. much. You know, there, you've got another a number of other guys out there doing well, but it's not an organized program like like uh, right, right. Like the like the like the Detroit thing is, and that just blew me away from the beginning. And the guys, you know, you know, he wears a tie to work every day. I mean, it's just really just just over the top great guy. I really really like him. You know, his philosophies. Yeah, it just really really gets it. And uh, you know, yeah, Henry, you know, meeting him Henry does a good job. Sent me down this path. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah definitely. So that, that was fun. A good addition. I think he, he'll bring a lot to the show as, as we get talking about things and, you know, you're going to get different points of view. I think, um, you know, Henry looks at things, um, a little bit different than what, what I look at, even though we do some things very, very similar. Um, he's definitely going to bring a different point of view to the table, which I think is very, very important. So uh, I, I think it's a good ad if we can get them on on a regular basis and we can, you know, get things structured so we can have these discussions that relate directly to efficiency. And, and you know, so many times we talk about generalities, you know, this gear ratio and, and this and that, and, and we're not really, we're not really doing the math and doing the homework to really understand why we're saying what we're saying. And um, I think bringing Henry into this, we can really take things to a next level when we're, we're trying to talk to people in a general forum like this to say, Hey, you know, this is, these are options that you have in order to do better. And here's why, here's exactly why it's not because I feel this is, this is better. Here are the numbers to back this up. And, and uh, I I think it'll be great. Are you saying we're going to have to start proving things? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it might be a good idea. You know? <laughs> absolutely, yeah. It might, a, it might be a good idea. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, you know, it's uh, it'll be fun. Henry's a good guy, and I think it'll be uh, it'll make the show really, really fun to listen to. Darn, it was so much easier when I could just say because I said so. <laughs> yep. Just do it. Yeah, just do right. it. Yeah. Just, just be quiet. Stop with all the questions. Just do it. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Shoot. So, yeah. Looking, looking forward to some of the shows in the future. By the way, um, so February is going to be a busy month for me as far as shows go well the one is internal to volvo they're going to have like 400 of the the top engineers come in and i'm going to have truck down there i'm going to be taking them all you know locally for a ride and then i'm going to spend like an hour and a half with groups of 10 or 12 talking about the truck and they got me scheduled for several days down there then i'm going to go down to the uh show in orlando um tmc the truck will be at TMC and I'm scheduled to be there for a couple days. If anybody's going to be down at the show in TMC, I'd, you know, love, is, to, love to chat. So technology and maintenance council. Um, yeah, when I, you know, that is, uh, end of February. I'm not, it's end of February. March is Matt's. Yeah. So, and I'm going to be at Matt's too. And I know Henry's going to be at Matt's and, and this, this will be uh this will be really cool. I think, um, I'm going to be, I 
think I'm going to be down there with the hotshot secret people. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think that's how this is going to work out. And I know Henry's going to be down there. And, uh, I think we'd both love the opportunity to really push the whole concept of the six by two to the, uh, the owner operators. Cause I, I really think that's the key to giving these guys a leg up over the big carriers. If they want to, you know, be ultra efficient and really be able to make some money running, you know, like the load board stuff I was running here recently, you can do it and make money if you're efficient enough. So, um, you know, Henry's going to be there. I'll be there. And, and so Matt's will be kind of cool. I think. So we need to, uh, we need to keep talking about that. I have a meeting next week with, uh, show management to talk about, uh, seminars. Yeah. I've basically told them Mm -hmm. unless they change something in the way they do this, I'm just not doing seminars that they have made such a mess out of that education track that they call it. So it's almost all infomercials. You know, in order to give a seminar, you have to be a vendor. That's that's the first step. And the vendors are really just there to promote their product. I mean, that's all these seminars turn out sure. to be. And then the way they book them, it's you have the room from 9 a.m. till 10 a.m., except somebody else had the room from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. So it takes at least (laughs) 10 minutes to get their equipment out of there, get your equipment in there. Everybody's trying to talk to you while that's all happening. And then you, so you're already starting 10 minutes late and you only have an hour and then 10 minutes till the next person's in there trying to get a head start on theirs. So they're already, you know, standing at the stage waiting for you to take your stuff down. It's just a horrible system. So I, I'm going to propose to them that, you know, they, they keep that one seminar room like they've always done it. Give me a seminar room myself, and, and we'll put on a bunch of really mm-hmm. good stuff for three days. So we'll see what they say. Yeah, John, you're going to have to call Ferrari and tell him you just don't have time because you have to be at Matt's, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me look at my schedule here, yeah. Yeah. I, I should, uh, yeah. if that's a free weekend, uh, yeah. What is the date? I guess I can figure that out. Matt's is the end of March right into the beginning of April, so right at the end of the month. I, I'm good. There that's you a free go. Weekend awesome. for me. 28, 29, 30. Actually, I'll be driving back from – no, I won't even be in Atlanta. That's good. No, that's, that's a good week for me. So, well, yeah, then, if you're going to uh, be there, Ted, once we have to do a live, uh, live podcast. Yeah. It, yeah, well, yeah, if we yeah. can pull off this room, I'll be able to do a lot of stuff. So if we can pull that off, I'll be hitting you guys up cool. to do some live broadcasting and, and also probably come over and do some seminars. Absolutely. Yeah, that would that would be awesome. Good. I'll keep working on that. that All right. Awesome. We're going to wrap yeah, I'd, this I'd, up. So I'd be willing to help out with that. Can yeah, get on go. with yeah. their day. Anything, okay. uh, anything anybody right. wants to close with? I'm all talked out. All right. I'm all talked out too. I'm good. Looks like we're good. It's a short one this week. Week and a half. Yep. We're going to wrap this up and we will be back next week with a live show. Thanks for joining us. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.